0: This is the Work Minus Podcast, where we talk about what we need to drop from how we work today and transformative ideas to help you build a better workplace. To hear all of our episodes and read articles about how you can improve your workplace, go to workminus.com. Welcome back to Work Minus. Today, our guest is Mark Graven. He's an author, speaker, and consultant. And this episode is Work Minus Overreacting to Metrics. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm good, Neil. Thanks. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, I'm really excited about this topic. I think it's it's very important for a lot of people listening. And why don't you start off just giving us a little bit of your background?
1: Yeah, so I started off my career. I'm a industrial engineer. Um, I grew up in Michigan around the auto industry, so my first job out of college was at General Motors, and it was during an era when GM was de- and other automakers were desperately trying to learn from Toyota and to to in in some ways copy them and catch up to them. Then as my career has progressed, I've ended up um, working in a couple of different manufacturing companies, two different software startups, and uh, I've worked a lot over the last uh, 13 or 14 years now in healthcare, kind of applying lessons from industrial engineering and uh, what you either call the Toyota production system or lean manufacturing, trying to help people in healthcare improve the way they deliver patient care. Has that
0: been a pretty seamless transition in terms of industry-wise, like healthcare adopting to a a more metrics-driven, lean approach?
1: You know, it's interesting, I I think, for people who have worked in manufacturing and healthcare, you you start seeing connections of, you know, systems and workflows and and people, and there's an awful lot of similarity. There are obviously key differences. What's challenging, though, is, you know, people who have only worked in healthcare, they find it harder to connect those dots, and... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think it's understandable when when people in healthcare cringe when they're either thrown scenarios, um, you know, practices that would be transferable from aviation or from manufacturing or from Disney. You know, and people in healthcare say, "Hey, we're different." I'm like, "Well, of course <laughs> you are, and there are special things about healthcare." Um, so, it's, you know, one of the challenges is is trying to help people be open minded that we can learn from other industries without losing what's special about healthcare, or, you know, getting into, um, you know, people use phrases like cookbook medicine or assembly line medicine. And I'm like, well, not all assembly lines are bad. Yeah. And a cookbook can be helpful, but it doesn't mean a cookbook can turn me into a Michelin star chef, you know? Yeah. Wow. All right. So this is gonna be great. Why don't you start off?
0: Actually, I'm going to start off with this topic of signal versus noise. So give us just the baseline understanding of, of how you define the difference between the two.
1: Yeah, so you know, I've been fortunate to learn some statistical methods that that date back almost a hundred years, and I don't think it means that that they're outdated. I, I think it's um, you know, it's just kind of good, proven uh, math and methodology. But you know, one one of the ways we you know we can think of noise as being just kind of the typical or or you know routine fluctuation that you see in a metric. So a lot of times, if we look at a business metric. And hopefully, we're looking at you know that we're not just looking at a two data point comparison of this month versus last month or this quarter versus a year before. If we actually take our metric and and just create what Excel would call a, a line chart, um, plot the data, look at data over you know twelve to twenty data points, and thom- sometimes we can see maybe that that metric is just fluctuating around an average. So we can kind of you know calculate and draw the average on uh, the chart. And then the other way we can help filter out um, the noise is is to put two other lines on a chart. We think of these as guardrails, kind of above and below the average. There's a, a way of calculating, um, you can think of it as a guardrail, or sometimes it's called the process limit, that says, you know, if this metric has been fluctuating predictably around an average, it's going to continue predicti- uh, predictably, um, fluctuating within this range. And so then we, we, we apply three rules to this chart. If we see a data point outside of those guardrails, we we'd look and say and conclude something has changed significantly in our business or our operations, um, that that would be a signal. Um, the second rule is looking for um, eight consecutive data points above or below an average. That's unlikely to be, Random, and then there, there's a third rule, um, it's a little harder to explain verbally, but we're looking for a clustering of three or four data points that are close to one of those limits. and And so you know what one of the things we can do through this methodology called process behavior charts is learn to recognize when there's noise or, or just routine fluctuation. Stop reacting to all of the noise. Stop asking people to explain, the noise and, and sort of save our attention and problem-solving skills for times when we see a signal in a chart. That signal could be in a bad direction, which means, all right, it's time to um, start investigating. And if we see a signal in a positive direction, then we, we make sure we understand uh, you know, why that happened, make sure we understand our business. If we've seen, for example, an increase or a signal in revenue or customer conversion rates. Um, you know, that, that, that can help us prove cause and effect between some sort of new initiative that we've put in place and seeing uh, a meaningful difference or a signal in our metric instead of, let's say, launching a new marketing campaign and, oh, the honest reality is revenue is still just fluctuating around a predictable average. That that helps us hopefully better um, connect the dots and, and understand cause and effect relationships between what we're doing to try to improve our business and what the metrics are showing us.
0: Yeah. So here's the situation I think we've all found ourselves in. You're in a meeting, you're giving a bunch of reports that are coming through. You put up a chart or some kind of graph on there that you know is just kind of a basic status thing, but then somebody stops the meeting and asks you to explain these two data points or explain something that that you feel like is is fairly insignificant or just kind of this noise that's in there. Let's look at this from two sides of it. First, if you're the one presenting and it's your chart
1: up there and somebody stops to ask you a question, is there
0: any way that you can prevent that from happening or, or structure your data in a different way?
1: Well, I mean, I, there, there are times when I've helped organizations and, and their leaders develop new habits because you're right. It's a, it's a very common tendency. Let's say somebody reports a metric. Um, number of um, visitors to our website is down 20%. My mind say, well, you you need to understand what happened and find a root cause and keep asking why. The the reality and part of the context might be, well, you know what, a uh, number of web visitors had gone up twenty two percent the month before and it went down seventeen percent. You know what, the number of visitors to our website fluctuates because of uh, Google and algorithms and all kinds of other factors. Um, you know, trying to find a root cause for that sort of routine variation or that noise just ends up being a waste of time. So, you know, there's a story I've blogged about and I include it in the book. There's a, a software company, Kynexis, that I've been involved in. And I've coached uh, the CEO and the marketing director, um, you know, to, to, to overreact less. And, um, you know, there, there's times when. The CEO would ask, you know, this kind of well-intended, inquisitive question of, well, you know, why did the number of sales-qualified leads drop? And Maggie figures she would go spend an hour or two investigating and not really ever coming up with a convincing answer. And that's not her fault. When we have a metric that's in that realm of noise, there is no easy answer or root cause for every uh, up or down. So, you know, some of this is developing new habits and, and helping them realize, that if Maggie could spend an hour to actually improving the marketing system in some way, instead of just trying to explain the noise, um, we actually started making a lot more progress. So I think it, it, it's better to you know try to figure out how do we improve the metric instead of just explaining the metric. But the problem is back to your other point, this this executive habit or this leadership habit of asking people to explain every up and down, like it feels good. It's <laughs> like, well, yeah. I'm not tolerating poor performance. So I'm taking action, but not all action is helpful, hmm. and and that can be it can be hard, it, difficult to try to open people's eyes. And I've I've tried to do this in workshops um, through some hands-on, um, you know, kind of uh, simulations and adult learning exercises. Um, but sometimes it's a challenge to even get people to the table and and get them to look in the mirror and challenge themselves. Of huh. You know, maybe some of my behaviors as a leader, all, although well intended, maybe sometimes get in the way of our improvement.
0: Yeah. And if you're in that leadership position, what are some of those other habits that you need to watch out for to prevent yourself? But also you don't want to like not act on something you need to, or if you feel like somebody's trying to hide something in a report, then you you want to be able to pull that out. So wh- what are those habits we can build?
1: Yeah. So I mean one of those habits, you know, in organizations that use these process behavior charts on on some sort of dashboard. Um, let's say you have six key organizational metrics, and you know maybe three of them have have gotten worse in the last month. A lot of organizations would say, "Well, those three have gotten worse. We're, 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 we need people to go and, and figure it out and go and work on it." When one of those three maybe shows this statistical signal, right? So we we, we should be focusing and prioritizing our resources on. Uh, metrics or scenarios where there is something worth explaining when we see a signal, and and sometimes organizations just spread themselves too thin when they react equally to every uh, everything that that that's gotten worse. So that's that's one habit is is using the charts to kind of help prioritize um, when we react because, like you said, there is a time and a place where you need to react pretty quickly and investigate when the situation is fresh, but then there's also a time when you have a metric um, that's fluctuating around an average, and you're not happy with where that average is. Well, we can certainly try to improve business performance, but that usually happens in a decidedly non-reactive way, right? So taking a step back and understanding your business, understanding the systems and and, and processes and workflows, you you can improve a stable, predictable system but sometimes that requires taking a step back, um, so that you're, you're sort of trying to learn habits of when do I react and when do I maybe take a breath and um, you know figure out how to improve the system. That 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 thought process is something that can be um, developed. Um, that's a new habit, um, and 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 these charts can can help kind of point us and, and help us so we're not guessing. Well, do I think that's a signal? There there's some pretty hard set statistical rules that. You know are, are easy to learn and, and easy to implement that can help us tell the difference between those situations
0: as someone who' spent most of their career with metrics, with numbers, where are you in terms of being comfortable with with not knowing the answer? you know you said there's situations <laughs> it's like you, you can't explain why this number changed or, or what are the limits of those metrics what What kind of philosophical thoughts have you had on that?
1: Well, uh, you know I think it's interesting i mean in, in I think in the lean methodology. Um, and, the, and the Toyota Production System, there's a big emphasis on being honest about the real reality, and there, there's sort of you know an aspect of this lean culture that says uh, it, it's okay to not know the answer to a question. Now, you know, it, it's it's better to go and take some time and investigate the real situation, um, and instead of just making up an answer that sounds good, um, and I think. For for listeners who might know Eric Reese and the Lean Startup methodology, I think there's similar questions you know that Eric raises around. Um, you could call it integrity. Um, you know, if if we're fooling ourselves as an organization, like we've we've spent a lot of money on some initiative and we're desperate to paint a picture of success, or you know, Eric uses the phrase success theater. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're desperate to paint a picture of success, people will. Uh, abuse. Uh, you know, uh, they'll cherry pick data points. They'll they'll massage the data, if not torture the data, to prove the point that they need to show. Because politically, it might be really unsafe to either not know, or it might be really unsafe to try something that fails. And I, I, you know, I think the the the, the issue of integrity you know, comes down to you know, if, if we're fooling ourselves, we're only hurting ourselves. Long term, so I think you know, as you know, I work with you know people who are leaders in healthcare or you know the CEO of a startup. You want to create an environment where um, people are being honest about the real reality. They're being honest about challenges or gaps in performance. Because as soon as you start getting that culture where it's more important to make things look good, um, that that gets corrosive really quickly
0: yeah I want to go deeper into this idea of painting a picture or or the idea of a narrative because when we're looking at numbers we feel very scientific we feel very much like okay we're we're looking at the the truth that's out there but we're always telling a story based on those numbers that come through so what are some of the spectrums you've seen in how organizations blend that that narrative with the honest
1: data that's there and and what's a, a good approach for that yeah I mean there there was a workshop I taught a couple of years ago and i, I incorporated this uh, this story into my book it, it was a nursing executive uh, from England and and part of their um, National Health Service and they had this important goal um, they had a challenge where um, they were uh, they were the 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 goal was to reduce patient falls by 50 percent and she came into the workshop and she had data All right so there's there's data driven and then there's um, you know, data-driven, um, like like you said, there's a spectrum. Where um, you know, she she came into the class with data and said, "I need to show a 50% reduction." So I'm like, "Well, my thought process. Well, wait a minute. Let us look at the data. There's this phrase um, that we use. Uh, you know, the voice of the process, right? So you might have a voice of the customer that says, uh, "Well, you know, we should reduce falls by 50%." Or the, the customer might really say, "We should eliminate." Falls and, and patient harm altogether, but you've got this goal of fifty percent reduction. You know, I, you know, this wasn't the point of, of the workshop or the methodologies I teach. You know, we could go and cherry pick two data points and show uh, an overly simplistic before and after um, picture, but but that's not the real reality. So what we saw from uh, creating a line chart and turning it into a process behavior chart, we saw there had been. Uh, the signal that showed a downward shift in the average number of falls. Now, the number of falls had been fluctuating around an average that they thought was too high. And then because of some changes they made and improving the way the work was done, um, they saw it was now fluctuating around a lower number. And so I would tend to look at it and say, I think the most honest, valid way of looking at this is to, to look at the difference between the averages and the average number of falls was down 30%, which is, that's great progress. But now it comes back to the politics and the management question around, well, you've set this goal of 50% reduction, what happens if someone doesn't get there, right? So in a lot of organizations, there's this mindset that's sort of threatening. It's like, well, I've set an aggressive target, you need to hit it or else. Well, then when, when that's the mindset, when there's a lot of fear, people will then maybe find it easier to distort the data. Like, let's start covering up falls instead of reporting them honestly. Um, And then we get back into the realm of, well, maybe we're just fooling ourselves and maybe we're just hurting ourselves. So I think that's another dimension, too. As leaders, it's good to set aggressive goals, but you have to be careful um, that that doesn't lead to situations that are really dysfunctional if you if, if you remember what happened with Wells Fargo a couple of years ago and you know the headlines said that all of these these bank branches around the country had what Wells Fargo described as like unethical tellers and unethical managers who were boosting their performance by opening unauthorized accounts so I'm like I'd, I'd look at that and say well there, there's clearly a systemic problem here and part of the root of that problem was this at the time CEO of Wells Fargo set this completely unrealistic goal that well you know every customer should have eight accounts <laughs> and it was easier for people to start gaming the system uh, fudging the numbers distorting the system and um, you know I think as, as a leader when you set an aggressive goal you have to leave open the possibility that people might not, the organization might not be able to hit the goal. And instead of, you know, blaming and threatening and punishing, I I, I think more effective leaders, um, you know, act more like servant leaders who say, well, let's let's work together to hit that aggressive goal. You know, the, the hospital executives might say, all right, well, the goal was 50% reduction in falls. You got a 30% reduction. That's worth celebrating. Now, what else can we do to help further improve the system to get us closer to our goal. Um, yeah, I, I think some of those reactions are more helpful. And, and some of those reactions from leaders just create a lot of chaos and dysfunction.
0: Is there a difference between the statement, I need to show a 50% drop in falls and I want people to fall less <laughs> in my
1: hospital? Yeah, I think there's subtle differences where sometimes people get too wrapped up around the metric, or another thing I'll hear, I'll hear leaders say related to patient satisfaction surveys. They'll they'll get fixated on on the on the uh, metric, and they'll say things like, "We need those scores to go up." I'm like, "Well, another way of saying that is we need to improve the experience for patients, which will then lead to better scores." Right. So I think one one thing we learned from you know the, the Toyota approach in lean manufacturing is. The right process brings the right results. That, yes, we care about results, but when all you do is promise rewards or threaten punishment for not hitting a result, people might take all kinds of shortcuts or make bad decisions um, that that don't really improve the organization. So, we've got to have a balance, right? We've got to improve the process in a way that leads to better results, and hopefully we're working together instead of just, uh, you know, judging and ranking and firing. Like, you know, I heard somebody who had left a hospital in the US recently who said, you know, the culture had gotten really bad where they had some new executives who basically threatened leaders like him, if you don't hit the targets, we'll fire you and find someone else who can. And I think in a lot of cases that's that's a real mistake. There might be very systemic reasons that are out of that leader's control. So firing that leader and replacing him with another one probably isn't going to make I wouldn't necessarily buy the hypothesis that replacing the leader is the only thing that can make a difference—it might make no difference.
0: Yeah, you get in this situation where what is the actual the metric that you want? Is it that number, or is it something different?
1: Yeah, and 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 sometimes you know, something a patient satisfaction survey is just the best estimate you have of actual patient satisfaction. So the, you know, they they mail these surveys out to people. It's voluntary, it's self-selecting, and, and, and so you've, you know, you've got, it's not an equal sampling of the patient population. The people who are the most upset or the most happy maybe are the ones most likely to fill out the survey. Uh, patient populations that have more time to fill out these lengthy surveys um, might be more willing to fill them out. So, so one thing I find fascinating about hospitals is that unlike a lot of other businesses, the customer is right there. Like, you know, like when I go to the doctor's office, um, um, I can't think of a single time a doctor or a dentist has asked, "So, how was your visit today? Is there anything we could do better?" That's a far richer opportunity for a discussion about um, satisfaction and improvement um, compared to sending out a survey that comes weeks later, and uh, you know might might arrive with. Um, you know, to to, to to people who have relatively fuzzy memories. Like you go to the grocery store and it's almost a default question. Why did you find everything you needed today? <laughs> you know? The uh, doctor's offices don't ask the equivalent of that. And I think that's a lost opportunity. So some, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not just the metric. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it's getting the actual voice of the customer instead of looking at a metric that at best approximates the voice of the customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, close us out with this scenario. Let's say uh, you're either a young manager coming into a new team or you, you've inherited a new team. They have a set of metrics they've been working on. What's the best way to come in and evaluate those, decide what you want to, to keep and keep pushing for and what you want to pull back
1: from? Yeah, I mean, so you know, there's, there's, I think, two key questions. One is deciding and evaluating what we measure and how we measure it. Um, do we have too many metrics, or do we have a good balanced scorecard um, of of metrics that look at quality and um, cost and, and 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 customer satisfaction, um, employee engagement? Is there a good balanced scorecard or not? Um, so I think you can look at what to measure. There are methodologies. Uh, you know, Toyota and the lean approach would would bring a methodology called strategy deployment. Um, a lot of people, especially in the tech sector, are really into an approach called OKR that looks at objectives and key results. Um, there's, a gr- there's a good book out there. Um, it's been a bestseller called Measure What Matters by John Doerr. So I think all of that is an important discussion. But then I think where my book, Measures of Success, kind of builds upon those different methodologies is, is answering the question of, now, what do we do with that metric over time? Um, so I think I would come in as as a leader and first evaluate: Are we measuring the right things? Are we measuring too much? Do we have a good balance of measures? Because like if all I've I've worked uh, in manufacturing where um, all of the metrics were related to production volumes and production speed, that co- that ended up causing a lot of problems related to quality. You know, so. Um, I would, I would have that discussion around, what are we measuring? And then I would take a look at the metrics and, and I would create process behavior charts and look and see, are the metrics changing over time? So we could look for signals that indicate that, or is the reality that these metrics are just fluctuating around an average? And um, as, as I've done with other organizations, I would try to teach some of these new habits around learning to ignore some of the noise so that we've got the bandwidth to respond to signals. So the subtitle of my book um you know, sort of tries to summarize the idea here when we react less and lead better, we can improve more. Um so back to you know what you said earlier, it's just final thought. Some of these old habits are just that we react to everything. We demand explanations and and that feels good as a leader, um but But, you know, I think I've seen cases where people kind of step back and reflect and and through different learning exercises kind of opens their eyes and says, well, it's not that I'm a bad leader, but I can learn a few tactics that help me become a more effective leader um, to use some methods that waste less time for the organization. And that allows us to focus more on improving the business and actually improving performance. That's what I'm trying to help people with.
0: Awesome. I love it. Mark, it's been really uh, interesting for me. I've learned a lot out of this situation and this conversation. Tell us where we can go to, to find the book and learn more about you.
1: Yeah. So uh, the website for the book is measuresofsuccessbook.com. Uh, it, it can be found on Amazon. It's available as a, a print book, it's available as a Kindle book, it's available through Apple Books for people who prefer uh, that platform. So it's, it's it's available now. And you know, thankfully, I've gotten a good response. Um, from people. Uh, It's great to see people reading the book. It's good to see uh, positive reviews. But I I think the most satisfying thing is the emails that come from people who have applied this methodology and and seen it be really helpful to them as leaders or to see it be helpful um, as a business. So again, that's measuresofsuccessbook.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks so much for being on the show and sharing everything with us. We appreciate it.
1: All right, Neil, thank you.
0: This has been the Work Minus Podcast. If you like what we're doing, go to workminus.com where you can see the show notes and a full transcript for every episode. You can also sign up for our newsletter where you'll get the latest progressive ideas about how you can build a better workplace.